Turn, if you would, tonight to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. And Lord, I thank you for the music we've enjoyed. Thank you for the fellowship that we've had today. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I hope you remember that we enjoyed the presentation and the update from Brother Jacques Alexander. And if you didn't appreciate that and if you didn't enjoy that, you need to get your heart right because it was a good challenge. It was a very good challenge, and I am thankful for the challenge that he presented to us. But it was a few weeks ago that we began looking at Hebrews chapter 10, and we jumped down to verse number 22 because in the first 21 verses it was really a, an overview and a, a reminder of so many doctrinal truths, truths that the writer had given uh, prior to this. And so in verse number 22, we watched as the writer said, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the challenge in that was because of our salvation, we need to draw near to the Lord with a pure, sincere, genuine, clean heart. We don't just need to go through the motions. It needs to be real. And it is so easy to just go through the motions if we are honest. It is so easy for us to just do those things that we know that we're supposed to, but our heart not be pure and for us to not be drawing to the Lord uh, with that true heart that it needs to be. And then two weeks ago, we watched as the writer said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering because he or for he is faithful that promised. And so the challenge was this. Whenever your faith is challenged from whatever area of life the challenge may come from, he said, hold fast to your profession. Don't waver. Don't sway. Don't be moved in this profession or this confession of faith that you have made in Christ because he said, the one who gave you your salvation is faithful. He is one that can be trusted. He is one that can be depended upon. So don't let anything sway you. And so those are two things that we've looked at so far in this passage or in this uh, chapter. Tonight we're going to be looking at another couple of verses. But before we do, I want us to think about something. I, I'm sure that at some point I have mentioned this in the past, but just be reminded of it with me tonight, okay? The, the, the thing that I want you to think about tonight is this. How many of you have ever known someone who thought that that did not apply to them? Whatever that was, it may apply to everybody else in the world, but for whatever reason, they have determined they are exempt from that. You probably work with some people who think that certain rules just do not apply to them. There are kids who go to school and they think that though the rules are in place for all the other kids, that rule does not apply to them. We're living in a day where people in government think the rules apply to everybody but them. And the list goes on and on and on. You understand that. That doesn't apply to me. That applies to someone else. Well, guess what? It should come as no surprise that in the church world in which we live in today, there are many people who attend church, and here is what they think. They think, well, that applies to them, but it doesn't apply to me. 
So, you know, you're in a church setting and maybe the truth of God's word is presented. And for whatever reason or by whatever means, there are people who sit in church and say, yeah, so-and-so needs to do that. Or, yes, the preacher ought to be doing that, but that one doesn't really apply to me. Well, how in the world not? Except through some means of arrogant justification. It applies to us. Now, this evening, as we get into the text, I want us to understand, just so that you know where I stand on this, this applies to every one of us. Because the writer is writing to believers. And he did not just single out a certain portion of the people and say, okay, now this only applies to you, but this would not apply to you. No, it would apply to all the believers. It would apply to all who identify as followers of Christ. So notice in verse number 25, okay? Verse number 25, a verse that some of us have heard maybe more than a couple dozen times in our Christian life. The writer says this. He said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, when we are honest and we remember and we will be willing to admit that this is written to believers, this portion of Scripture, then whenever he speaks of the assembling of ourselves, he has to be talking about the assembling of saints. And I think in the context, it's fair to say that he is not talking about the assembling of ourselves together to watch a football game, though there would be nothing wrong if a bunch of Christians got together and watched a football game. He's not talking about a bunch of Christians who may get together to to do something that may be of interest to them, though there's nothing wrong with that. What he would be talking about is when the body of believers would come together in an assembly almost kind of like what the word church means. See, the church is an assembly. Let's listen to this. The church is an assembly of called out believers. That is what a church is. Now, he says, do not forsake or not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, somebody may say, well, you know, I mean... They didn't do Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night like we've got it. Listen, I understand. But you know what they had? They had assemblies. The issue was not when the assembly was taking place. The issue was that the saints were assembling. It's fairly clear if we're honest. There has been a time called... For the saints to assemble. Fairly simple. Well, back then they didn't. Okay, who cares what they did back then? See, nowadays, today, what we do, for us at least, 10 o'clock, Sunday school, 11 o'clock, morning worship, 6 o'clock, evening service, Wednesday evening, 7 p.m., that is when we have called times of assembly of what? Of saints, and so we would say it like this, We have church at 11 o'clock and 6 o'clock and Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. And that's our culture and that's where we're at. 
Now, don't get nervous and don't get too excited about what I'm about to say, but notice what he said next in verse number 25, or what he said in, a, you know, in all this. He said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. What does it mean to forsake something? Well, it means to abandon something or to desert it. So you have this assembling of the saints together, and here is what the writer says to other believers. He said, listen, don't forsake that. Do not abandon the assembling of the saints together. Do not desert it. Now, I just want to ask you something. Why do you think this even had to be said? I just bet it needed to be said because there were people even some 2,000 years ago who had decided it was within their rights of Christianity to go ahead and forsake the assembling of themselves together. You know, someone 2,000 years ago said, listen, the saints will be getting together. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have a time of proclamation of the Word of God. It's going to be at this particular time on this particular day. And there was some saint who said something like this. I don't have to be there. I've got stuff going on. We've got family issues. We've got, you know, other things that are happening. You know, there, there's a conflict in our schedule right now. I mean, you know, the kids are involved in this, and I'm involved in this, and my spouse is involved in this. And, and you know, I, I know that the saints are assembling, but, but we're just going to go ahead and forsake that. Here's what the writer said. Don't. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves or of ourselves together. Now, I'm just going to say this. This applies to every one of us. That when the times have been scheduled for us to assemble, you know what our responsibility is? Guess. To assemble. Uh, Brother Kyle, you don't understand. i got a lot going on. You're right, I don't understand. Not because I'm being a hard-nosed, but the Word of God says to assemble. Well, well, Brother Kyle, I'm involved in this. And Brother Kyle, my kids are involved in this. And Brother Kyle, my spouse is involved in this. You just don't understand. You're right, I don't understand how you've managed to justify this because the Word of God says don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Don't do it. Notice what he said next. Kind of reinforces what I said just a moment ago. He said, as the manner of some is. What does it mean that that is the manner of some? It means that that is the custom or the way of some who have decided that whole assembly thing is optional. You know, I don't have to be at the assembly to be a Christian. You're right, you don't. I don't have to be in a, you know, at, at an assembly with other believers to go to heaven. You're right, you don't. But I will say this, you do have to be with the assembly to be right with God. Well, Brother Kyle, are you saying that if I miss church, I'm not right with God? I'm saying if it becomes a pattern in your life, then yes, you're not right with God. 
I'm saying if everything else under the sun can keep you out of the house of God and the assembly, if you'll not work your schedule to make the assembly priority, if you're not going to tell family no sometimes for the sake of the assembly, if you're not going to to tell the things of this world no so that you can be a part of the assembly, if you're going to let the assembly just be something that is optional in your life and something that you just kind of casually approach in your life, then I'm telling you right now, you cannot be right with God. I'll just go ahead and say it so that everybody feels better about it. Are there times where in the Old Testament reference we might say it like this, there's an ox in the ditch? Yes, there could be an ox in the ditch. If you're running fever and you're throwing up, do you need to be at church? No, you don't need to be at church. If you feel well, but your child is sick and your child is the one who is sick and throwing up, I think someone needs to stay at home with the child if they're not old enough to take care of themselves. But you know what really disturbs me is the culture that we're living in. It's the manner of some where when one gets sick, they all stay home to hold their hand and pat their forehead. Yet when Monday morning rolls around, they scatter a dozen different directions like, well, what would you expect us to do? See, the manner of so many, the custom of so many is this, that the assembly has been scheduled, the assembly has been set in place, and there are many who are of this mindset, well, I don't have to go. You're right, you don't have to go to be saved, you don't have to go to church in order to go to heaven, but you do have to go in order to be right with God. Somebody says, well, you can't prove that. I bet I can in just a minute. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves or of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Notice what he says in the next part of the verse or the last part of the verse. He said, this is going to hurt some in our culture today. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. What is the day a reference to? The day is a reference, most people believe, that that is a reference to the return of Christ. I know I've said this, you've said it, you've heard it many, many times in your church experience, I know. But 2,000 years ago, the believers thought they were living in the last days. So friends, back then, the writer said, here's what you need to do. You need to not forsake, abandon, desert the assembling of yourselves together. What you need to do is rather than abandoning or forsaking as the custom of some is, he said, you need to meet or assemble so much the more as ye see the day approaching. You know what he's saying? He's saying this, you need more assemblies, not less assemblies. Now, that kind of flies in the face of modern-day church philosophy, doesn't it? Well, what do you do in your church schedule? What does your church schedule look like? Well, we used to do the Sunday night service, but we don't do that anymore. Well, how come? Well, you know, we're going to do small groups, and all that means is Sunday night split up several different directions when you could have been together corporately. Or they say something like this. Well, we're going to allow that to be family time. There's only one problem with that. We need more assembly, not less assembly. What do you do for your midweek service? Well, we have choir practice going on over here. We have people writing notes over here. We have things happening over here, over here, over here, over here. And we're not really assembled. We're just maybe, just maybe all in the same building, but in different parts doing different things. But 
we haven't really assembled. Here's what the writer would say. You need more assembly, less choir practice. You need more assembly, not as much note writing and coffee drinking and, and chewing the cud as church members are prone to do. Get together, sip our coffee, eat our donuts, and we talk about world events. And if we're not careful, we don't do what we're supposed to do when we assemble. I don't know if you would feel this way. I don't suspect I could sell it very well. But you know what I think we need more of today than we have ever needed before? We need more assembly, not less. I don't know how you could look at our world. I don't know how you could look at the direction of our nation and say, you know what, I think what would really be profitable is if we had less church. But that's modern-day Christianity. That is the manner of some. It is the custom. It is the way to just look at church as though it's an optional byproduct of their Christian life. They may or may not attend. This may or may not work with their schedule. And the writer said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Fellow believers, fellow saints, fellow followers of God, you must understand we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need to assemble. We need it. You need it. You don't need less. You need more. Hey, Brother Kyle, I'm not going to be able to be there today because this has come up. Now, now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Emergency or just something taking you out of the house of God? Hey, Pastor, our, listen, our family probably won't be there today. Well, how come? Well, you know, this is going on and, and we've got this happening. I'm telling you, it's just been so crazy, Brother Kyle. <laughs> oh, okay, hold on, hold on. That's pathetic. If it's been so crazy, you know what we need more of, not less of? We need more of the assembly. I'm just so tired. I'm just so weary. I'm just so, okay. It would do you even more good than you would expect to be where the assembly takes place. Now, I've said you don't have to be in church to be a Christian and to go to heaven, but you do have to be in church faithfully and not let stupid, insignificant excuses keep us out and away from the assembly or we're not right with God? Well, pastor, how can you say that? Verse number 22. Let us draw near with the true heart. Verse number 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Verse number 24. And let us consider one another. Now I'll try to tie all this together in just a couple of moments. But you see in verse 22, 23, and in verse 24, it's let us, let us, 
and let us. He said in verse number 24, and let us consider one another. What does that mean? What is that charge? What is that challenge that he is giving to to fellow believers? It is this. I am challenging you and I am calling you and I am exhorting you to focus your attention on others. And let us consider one another. Now that right there, in and of itself, is a challenge. To think about other people. Well, why is that a challenge? Because if you're honest and if I'm honest, we all know it is easy to get so locked in on ourselves that we don't consider or focus on anyone other than us. And that deserves a better response than a blank stare. Consider, focus on someone other than yourself. What? Yes, let us consider one another. Think about, focus on, give attention to someone other than yourself. Now, as much of a, of a challenge as that is, notice what he said in addition to that. And let us consider one another to provoke. Uh-oh. To provoke. What does it mean to provoke? It means this, to stir up or to irritate or to agitate. How many of us tonight would admit that sometimes in different areas of life we get complacent and we just kind of get relaxed and we're not really doing everything we could be doing in a particular area? It happens, does it not? And just as it happens in many other areas of life, it happens in our spiritual lives. We get complacent. We get relaxed. We're not moving forward like we need to be moving. Some may be even going backwards, but we're not really pursuing with the passion that we ought to. The things of God. And here is what the writer said to the fellow believers. He said, now listen, as I would challenge you to draw near with a true heart, and as I would challenge you to not waver in your profession of faith, I am now challenging you to focus your attention on people other than yourselves and began provoking them, stirring them up, irritating them, agitating them, trying to get them to see the need to keep moving in the spiritual life. Could we not admit tonight that if we would just look around in the ranks of our own church, we see people who are not moving forward in their Christian life. Oh, I just don't want to be judgmental. I just don't want to be harsh. I just don't want to be... Stop! Can we not judge righteous judgment? Can, can we not just sit back and say, listen, I know I'm not the Holy Spirit. I know that I'm not perfect. But I can tell just by watching this person or by watching this family, things are not the way they're supposed to be and things are not what they need to be. Can we not just be honest about that? We should be able to be honest about that. And so what the writer says is this, let us hold, uh, I'm sorry, and let us consider one another to provoke or to irritate or to stir up, what? Unto love. People need to be provoked in this area of love. 
What kind of love? Think about the two kinds of love or the two areas of love that matter in the scripture. It's a love for the Lord and it's a love for people. When one is suffering, you can know for sure that the other is suffering. One is not intact while the other is in shambles. When you love God like you should, you'll love people like you should. When you love people like you should, it's a reflection that you are loving God like you should. But if your love for one is not what it should be, then it reflects that the other is not what it should be. And here's what we all know, that our love for something is manifest not in the words that we speak, but in the actions in which we live. It is so easy to sing, oh, how I love Jesus. It is a completely different thing to live out our love for the Lord. Some of you are just, you're not, you're not getting this and, and we need to. Sometimes you can just tell by the individual's actions, their heart with the Lord is not right. Their heart with the Lord is not what it should be. How can you tell? Just watch. Just watch. It's then that this rule applies to us. Provoke them. Go to them and stir them up. Well, Brother Kyle, that's really not my position. I'm really not a confrontational person. Brother Kyle, don't you think that that's your job? Hold on. It is my job as much as it is your job, but it is your job. Listen, it is your job as much as it is my job. It is not your position in the church to sit back and ask me where so-and-so has been. It is not your position in church to come to me and say, Hey, I've been noticing something's been going on. What is it? it listen, it, it's not my position to keep you informed. It is my position, it is my responsibility to provoke people to love more like they should and it is your position, and it is your place to do the exact same thing. So he said, and let us consider one another to provoke, to provoke unto love, and what? And to good works. Do right. <laughs> You're not doing right. Well, who do you think you are? Well, I, I'm here right now, I guess, since you're not taking it very well. I'm here right now to irritate you. I, I would, no, 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 listen. I was just trying to stir you up. I was trying to get you to see that your actions are not right. Listen, I didn't come to you all confrontational, ready to beat you over the head with my big Bible. That's not what I came to do. What I came to do was to try to stir you up. But now that you're not receiving it very well, I, I guess I'm agitating you. I guess I'm irritating you. But, I, but I, listen, I'm sorry, but that's my responsibility as a fellow believer. I, I cannot just sit back. I'm not allowed to just sit back and watch you not do right without me at least saying something. Now, I'm telling you, there are so many people who sit in church and they know things are not right in the life of someone else. They would love to have, you know, have somebody say something, but they're not about to. You're wrong. 
You are wrong. If you know that something's not right and you know that something needs to be said, it is your responsibility to pray and ask the Lord for the right time, for the right opportunity, and then when he opens that door, for you to be man or woman enough to walk through that open door and provoke that person whether they were ready for it or not. Pastor, that sounds so confrontational. That seems to be the nature of provoking. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, I want us to look in verse number 25 again because I intentionally skipped over a portion because this ties into it. If you'll notice there in the middle part of the verse, he said, but exhorting one another. What does it mean to exhort? It means to encourage. Sometimes someone needs to be provoked in the area of love and good works. They need to be stirred up. They need to be kicked in the seat, so to speak. They need to be irritated, agitated, upset if they're not going to respond right. Sometimes people are just slipping and they just need to be encouraged. They don't need to be kicked, but they do need to be encouraged. And I want us to, again, understand this, that that is our position as fellow believers. Now, somebody says, Brother Kyle, you still haven't tied in the thoughts that says verse 24 and verse 25 go together. All right, so let's look at this. Verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, colon, meaning verse 25 helps explain and further communicate verse number 24, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now I want you to understand the connection here. It is difficult to provoke someone unto love and good works. And it is difficult to encourage people when we are not faithful to the house of God. How can you challenge someone to love God more when we don't love God enough to make His house priority? Are are we listening? How, how can I go to this fellow believer and say, hey, listen, I don't go to church very faithfully, but I'd sure love to see you more faithful to the house of God. I mean, that's absurd, is it not? How can I go to this fellow brother, this fellow sister, how can I go to them and say, hey, listen, I see that things aren't right. I see that things aren't good in your relationship with your spouse or with your children. I see that things are not what they're supposed to be. How can I do that if I'm not even faithful to assemble and to worship with these people that I supposedly have a relationship with and care about? It's impossible. 
See, I cannot do what I've been called to do if I'm not faithful to the house of God. Now listen, if I can't do what I've been called to do because I'm not faithful to the house of God, then I can't be right with God because I'm not doing what He called me to do where He called me to do it. (laughs) It's hard to encourage people if I'm not there. It's hard to exhort them if I'm not faithful. I'd like you to be faithful. Listen, I'd just like to encourage you to just be faithful. Just do right. I'd like you to do everything that I'm not doing by way of example. But you do it. You do it. No, no, no. Do we understand how messed up in the head that is? That's like me telling my kids to serve the Lord, but I'm not going to. That's like me saying to Susie, hey, listen, you better be in church. I won't be, but you better be. But, uh, hey, honey, you just go be in the house of God. That is ridiculous. I cannot provoke people, stir them up, irritate, agitate, whatever it may turn into, I can't do that unto love and to good works. And I cannot encourage people if in my own personal walk with God I have made the house of God some optional activity in my life, though I justify it with something that sounds so noble. In order for us to fulfill the challenge, the house of God has to be priority. Brother Kyle, I think you're just making way too much out of the assembly. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, how could I make too much out of it? We could afford to meet more, but many struggle to meet when we do meet. So I think it'd be a hard sell to get people to come out even more. But I'm telling us, telling us, I'm telling all of us, I cannot be to you what I'm supposed to be according to God if I'm not faithful to the house of God. And since this applies to all the saints of God, you can't be what you're supposed to be if you're not faithful to the house of God. Well, I'm just going to skip this one time. That may be the very time that someone in the church needed you. Well, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to do it this one time, this one couple of times, whatever it may be. Listen, listen, listen. That may be the very time that someone shows up that could have used your encouragement or your provoking of them, but but because you chose not to make the the house of God priority, then it, it didn't get the attention that it deserves. The house of God is important. It is of utmost importance because that is our avenue by which we are able to provoke others unto love and to good works and to exhort them to exhort one another. Someone says, well, can I send a text? Well, of course you can. Well, could I write them a note? Well, of course you can. Could I send them a letter? Of course you can. Can I give them a phone call? Of course you can. But that is not supposed to ever be a substitute to our faithfulness to the house of God. 
So I'd ask you this evening to consider this question. It's one thing to get all excited about church attendance. Praise the Lord, I'm good at church. I, I, I come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Well, praise God for you. It's an encouragement to me. When you're gone, I like for it to be a valid excuse. Like an ox in a ditch, not just a routine and a pattern you've gotten yourselves into. So we've got this church attendance thing down, at least most of us do. So let me ask you this. When was the last time we provoked someone? When was the last time we realized, you know, I, listen, I, I, I know I'm not perfect. I know, I'm, I know that if they choose, they can throw something up in my face. I get it. But I see someone and they're slipping. Their actions prove that they're not where they're supposed to be. I want to ask us, when was the last time we did what we were called to do and at least tried to provoke them? You know what the problem is for so many people? We don't consider one another. We may notice that this is slipping and they're falling away here and they haven't shown up for a while. And Oh, we, we noticed it, but it hasn't really been something we focused on and had a burden for and had a desire to provoke. When was the last time we provoked someone in this church family? When was the last time you just pulled somebody aside and said, hey, listen, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be in your business. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. But I would like to encourage you because I've noticed you've been slipping. You've not been where you're supposed to be. You've not been doing what you're supposed to be doing. Well, Brother Kyle, they may get mad. Okay, what's going to happen if they get mad? Well, they may not come back to church. You mean the place they haven't been coming anyways? Well, it, it could put a sour taste in their mouth. I promise you they've already got a sour taste in their mouth as it stands. It's so easy to get excited about church attendance and, okay, well, I've got the church attendance down. I'm not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's, that's good. But the challenge was this, let us provoke. Let us provoke. When was the last time we provoked someone else? In order to do that, we've got to take the blinders off. We've got to take the focus off of ourselves. And we have to be willing to look around, and without being critical or negative, we have to be able to say, I wonder how God might use me in this person's life. God, would you have me to say something to this individual? God, would you want me to do something here? It is our responsibility. This applies to every one of us. It takes a village. I was being silly. But it does take a group effort to exhort and to challenge and to encourage the church family. 
When was the last time you did it? And if we're not doing it, we're as much to blame as the other person who hasn't done it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it takes every one of us being involved in this whole provoking and encouraging business. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us tonight to see, first of all, the importance of being in the house of God for making this a priority in our life. And God, in addition to that, I pray that you'd help us today to see the need to provoke those who are a part of this church body. God, we need to be those who are willing to be used by you to stir people up, to irritate, to agitate, to encourage, whatever it may be, to, to let them know that we're not going to let them slip without some kind of a confrontation of some sort. It can be kind, it can be polite, it may turn into something that is not so pleasant, but Lord, we need to be those men and women who determine that with your help we will be people who say things as we strive to be faithful to you. So I pray that you'd help us tonight to be honest about how much provoking we do in the lives of other people. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.